right, all right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We'll be in Luke chapter 12. We'll start in verse 49 this morning. Luke 12, starting 49 uh, this morning. Two things before we jump in. Um, don't forget to be praying for Eric and his family. They're on vacation this week. So um, our worship pastor, leader, uh, is gone on vacation. So we're just praying that they have a, a good time away, good restful, restful trip. Um, and then the second thing I wanna say is John Ross last week, right? Yes. That's right. Um, for those of you who weren't here, you missed out. We had a, uh, one of our youth that has graduated college this year at North Greenville came back and he uh, shared God's word with us and did a phenomenal job. I know his mom and dad are proud. Um, talked to him this week and he was just, again, so grateful for the opportunity uh, to come back to his home church. I mean, he, he came with the glory of God on him and so uh, just loved hearing him uh, articulate the word of God, uh, break down the word of God and walk us through the scriptures and just, man, love that boy to death and thought, that he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Um, and so, uh, so we're gonna be in a new series uh, and it's gonna run through the length of the summer. And so uh, the thought behind it or the title behind it is this, is that Jesus said, what? It just comes out that way. I don't know why. It's just like, it just flows, but Jesus said, what? It just doesn't have the ring to it, you know? But Jesus said, I'm not gonna do it again. Um, <laughs> what? Um, so... And the heart behind this series, the heart behind this series is just to look at some of the difficult, tough sayings uh, of Jesus. And so whether they're hard, whether they're confusing, um, I, what I want to do is this, is I just want us to unpack and I want us to press into the word of God and I want us to really see uh, what it is that Jesus is saying. W what is the heart behind it? What is the, uh, the real meaning behind what he's sharing, what he's saying? What's his motive, uh, the setting, those kinds of things, and just really start to unpack it and get to the bottom of, of what he meant because I believe that there's so many misconceptions of who Jesus is, so many misconceptions of the things that Jesus has said. And so uh, some of them may be that he's a really good religious man who went around spreading peace, love, and, and giving stuff away. And to that, I would kind of say, yes, maybe. But then there's another side to him as well. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he's all of those things, but he's also holy, He's very, very holy, and he has standards and expectations, and so uh, the real Jesus is actually very polarizing. Uh, you either loved him or you hated him. If you'll read through the scriptures and look at the gospels and look at the interaction that Jesus had with people, uh, you either walked away loving Jesus or you walked away wanting nothing to do with him and really not caring much for him. And usually the way you could determine where you would fall in that category was depending upon how religious you were. If you're real religious, Jesus comes onto the scene and he says some stuff that would appear to be contrary to the law, contrary to the, to the words that they have, uh, that they look at as, as the word of God. It would appear to be that, but that's not the reality behind what Jesus says. And so in this series, we'll look at that and we'll really see what he's saying. We'll really see the heart behind what he's saying and why he is saying what he is saying. And so the more attractive that he grew to some, the more loathsome he grew to others. The more uh, people loved him, the more people grew to hate him as well. And so some would run while others run to him while others would plot to have him done away with. And so that's usually how you would know if you've encountered the real Jesus. You loved him or you hated him. You walked away loving, being more devoted, wanting more of him, or you walked away wanting absolutely nothing to do with him and despised him. And so most people today find Jesus boring and out of touch with the world, but is that really the case? Because what we see from the scriptures is no, one's, no one experienced Jesus in that way. 
which would probably reveal that most people have never encountered Jesus. Uh, Most people really don't understand who he is or what he has to say and why he said what he said. And so my prayer for us in this series is that we'll get a greater understanding of who Jesus is, greater understanding of what he has to say and what he's about. And in that, my prayer and my hope for us in this room is that he would reveal all the more whether we belong to him or whether we don't, uh, whether we're following him in glad obedience or there's sin areas in our life that need to be fleshed out and him step in and help us to see our great need for him all the more. So I'm gonna ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray and then we'll jump into where we're gonna be. Father God, we just, we just wanna come before you this morning. I wanna say thank you. God, you have given us the invitation to come boldly. And so God, we wanna do that this morning. We wanna ask you to do some pretty amazing things in this room. And God, the things that we're gonna ask you to do, God, we pray that it's all for your glory and for your honor. So God, as we look at a very difficult text this morning, as we see something that you've said that would seem to be very divisive, God, it's really something that that points us to who you really are and what your mission and your purpose is. And so God, I pray this morning in this room that if there be one that don't know you, God, that you'd reveal that to that heart. God, that you would draw. God, if there be one here this morning that is teetering on the line, God, that you would push them fully into the goodness and mercy and grace that you've offered. And God, for those in this room that belong to you this morning, God, I pray that we walk away encouraged. I pray that we walked away convicted. God, I pray that we walk away closer to you after looking at your word, after spending time with you this morning in your presence. So God, move in this place. God, there's freedom here for you to do. God, we invite you to do whatever you see fit. Jesus, we acknowledge and we know that we need you. God, even help us understand better what you have to say. Shame we pray. Amen. So a little background before we really jump in. We've got here uh, in uh, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse one, it lets us know that Jesus was speaking to to many people, thousands, maybe even 10,000s of people. And so there's a great number of these people here that had already made up their mind to to have nothing to do with Jesus, to reject him, want nothing to do with him. uh, But he still enticed the curiosity of those people. He still uh, enticed the curiosity of people. They wanted to see what he was about. They wanted to see what's he gonna do next. They wanted to see what was he gonna say next. But even in this number of people, there are still some there that would be classified as disciples, some people that were following, uh, people that had some devotion and love for him, and even Jesus' disciples were there. And so, but there were still those that, that were still open to what he was saying. They still wanted to really figure out and see if what he was saying is true, seeing if there's, there's any truth behind it. And so the heart of, of all that Jesus says in this chapter really has to do with the, pri- the primary thought of salvation, the primary reality of salvation. And so it's a call to come to him and receive the forgiveness and the redemption that only he brings, that only he can offer. That's the heart behind everything that we're gonna look at this morning. The driving force behind what Jesus says this morning. So there's gonna be a couple of interruptions here in this conversation that Jesus is having, uh, but it's one long discourse. And so Jesus, in the verses that we're gonna look at this morning, he says, he's come to bring division. Instead of uniting people to his kingdom of blessing, he divides them and he's gonna divide them into two groups. And we'll look at those two groups later on in the sermon. But let's jump in. Luke 12, 49 says this. Jesus says, I came, and so this term right here is a very technical term, which what it's gonna do is just gonna introduce his mission. It's gonna show his heart why he's here, what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish. It's a very rich phrase by which he summarizes all that he has to do, his goal and his purpose for coming to the earth. And so we see this played out in many other scriptures. Let me give you some examples. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus also says that he has come not to violate the law, but to do what? To fulfill the law. 
Jesus says he has come to do what? Be the light of the world. So you can see him make this comment, make this little phrase throughout all of scripture to to point to his purpose, to point to his desire, to point to why he has come, why he is here. And so if you do not accept the things that Jesus has offered, then there's, there's gonna be a price to pay. There's, there's gonna be something that you'll have to walk into. And so you'll experience and you'll see the holiness of Christ throughout the scriptures. If you do not see him as Lord and Savior, you will see him as a just judge. And so Jesus says, I came and I came to cast fire on the earth. Doesn't sound very Jesus-like, does it? Mm-mm, not at all. But as you see on the screen, we've got it there. It, I always want to point you to the scriptures so you see that we're not just making things up so that it is the word of God, the infallible, inerrant, perfect word of God that we always point to. That's what we want to base everything that we're about around is what God has said, what Jesus has said through his son, uh, what God has said through uh, men and women inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen and to write. And so what we see here is Jesus make a very hefty claim. I've come, my purpose, my goal here is to do something, is to cast fire on the earth, which is a very non-American picture of who we think Jesus is. No, no, we like the cute, nice, fluffy Jesus, the little pictures with the highlights. He's glowing because he's been in the sun all day with his SPF 50. No, no, no skin cancer there. He's very well maintained there. His deep blue eyes that we get lost in. We like to picture Jesus frolicking in the field handing out puppies to everybody, saying nice things like blessings to you, sister, brother. And then we come to scriptures like this, which seems to be very contrary to the picture or to the idea of who we say Jesus is or who we have even come to believe Jesus is. But there's something else interesting here. When he says fire, when he uses fire, fire's a picture of judgment. And so what Jesus is saying, my goal, my mission is this has come to cast fire on the earth to bring judgment. You don't believe me, John 9, 39. You can jot that down and turn there, look there later. But John 9, 39 says this. It says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. And so it's a very, very important verse as it pertains to his judgment, as it links to his judgment. And what we know about his judgment is that it's two-way. It's a judgment that saves, but it's also a judgment that condemns. It's a judgment that saves, but it also condemns. It's it's not only a fire of judgment, it's a fire of purging. That's the kind of judgment it is as well. And so you see that the gospel is a fire that that either purifies or punishes. It it either points to and shows who Jesus is, or you walk away from wanting nothing to do, being under the judgment of who Jesus is. And so if you believe that you have eternal life, if you believe that you have eternal life, if you don't, then what you have is unbelief, and that unbelief puts you under the judgment of a holy and righteous God. And so we know, what we know about fire is that fire consumes. Fire consumes, or fire purifies, makes right, makes better. And what Jesus is saying here is that his coming, he has come to bring fire to those who believe he purifies. He makes right, he redeems, he rescues, but to those who do not believe, for those who reject, he consumes, he consumes. And so Jesus says, I've, I've came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. So Jesus here is talking about fire. 
made mention of fire, talking about it. So what's going to kindle that fire? What, what does he mean? What's going to start this fire? And so that kindling, that, that the fire that starts the fire, the gospel fire that both purifies and punishes, that kindling is Jesus. Jesus is the one that starts the fire. And what he is doing here in this moment is he's looking toward the cross. He's looking toward the reality of the cross. Jesus is saying that I wish that this was over. I wish that this had happened. I wish that the fire had already come and it had already uh, uh, taken place because Jesus knows all that's coming. Uh, Jesus is aware of what's about to happen. He's looking over the hill and he, he knows the garden. He, he knows the punishment that he'll take. He knows the, the physical struggle that will uh, in, endure, that will take place, but he also knows the physical separation from the Father. He is aware of that and he says, man, I wish that this had come. I wish that this is over. I wish that this had already taken place. He sees what's happening. And then look at what he says in the next verse, verse 50. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So what we see from this scripture is that this baptism that he's talking about is one that brings about distress. It's uncomfortable. It's one that he's not uh, uh, particularly looking forward to, though he knows he has to. And so whenever we see the word baptism here, it's a word used to speak about being immersed in something, being taken in by something. And so what he's referring to here when he uses baptism, he's referring to death. But Jesus used it as being immersed in pain. He used it as being immersed in suffering, judgment, divine wrath, and eventually death. That's the baptism that he is talking about. And he knows that it's a baptism upon which he must undergo he knows and he understands that it's necessary because he must bear the judgment for all who will come to faith. He must take upon the holy wrath of a holy God upon himself for all of those who will walk by faith into the reality of who Jesus is and enter into relationship with him. He knows that that's coming. The church, just breathe that in for a moment. He's saying, I've got to be baptized. And it's not, it's not talking about going uh, back down to the river of Jordan and being dunked by John the Baptist again. That's not the baptism he's talking about. He's talking about a baptism that's gonna bring him death, but that death is gonna bring life for all mankind for those of, that will walk in and believe and trust in the sweet name of Jesus Christ. That's the baptism that he is talking about and that's, that's what we should breathe in. That's what we should rest in and in every moment of every day, the reality of what Jesus has done for us. So what he's saying here is that he is pressed. He's in distress. Pressed between two difficult places, the suffering and the purpose. He's pressed between the anticipation of the pain and the pain itself. He's pressed between his own will and the Father's will, but what we know in the scriptures is that he never wavered. He never wavered when he said in the garden, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass for me. That was his prayer, but he immediately followed it up with, not my will, but your will be done. It's not about what I want, God, Father, but it's about what you want, what you need, what you've seen, whatever you say. That's what Jesus says here is that he's come to cast fire. And that fire is gonna be kindled by the cross. And that's gonna set the fire of judgment in place. See, that will be the dividing point. That's where all people will be divided. I don't know if you've looked at it. For those of us in the faith, the cross is a very encouraging. The cross brings hope. The cross brings peace as violent and as horrific as the cross is. For those of us in the faith, that's what the cross means for us. Hope, salvation, rescue. But for those that are not in the faith, man, the cross is horrific. The reality of what the cross means, that's why it should be at the forefront of our mind and heart all the time. 
That should be the driving force behind everything that we do. That should be the filter upon which everything is run through. Does that person know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do they not? Because for those that don't know Christ, the judgment that they will endure, the judgment that they will face, the cup that they will have to drink is the cup that Jesus has drank. So he goes on in verse 51 and he says this. He says, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? So he's got this crowd, this large group of people there and he's speaking to them and there's kind of been some interaction and then, then he asks that question. And my response, like if I, yes, absolutely. And I can just imagine if that was me there saying that, just a hush over the crowd. There'd probably be applause, yeah, that's right, yeah. But what we've read and what Jesus has already said is the complete opposite. You think that I've come to give peace on earth? See, the cross divides everybody. You're either with the faithful or you're with the unfaithful. See how it's very divisive? It makes us choose. Jesus has given us a choice, either life eternal with him, and the only way to receive that, the only way to have that is through his cross and his sacrifice, or it's rejection, my way, living life the way that I want to. Very divisive. We have to choose a side. You're either in heaven or you're in hell, and hell will always bring about punishment, always cut us off from the life of God. Hell is always void of peace and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. To whatever degree, to whatever degree there's ever to be experienced, that's what we get. And so what do you do with Jesus Christ on the cross and his death and his resurrection? All of that determines your eternal destiny. All of that determines where you spend eternity. So let's just talk for a moment because I just believe in our culture and our world there's this great movement there's this great movement in today's world that says, man, peace, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just coexist? Can't we all just be happy? Can't we all just be joyful? Can't we all just, just, let's, just let's just hug and let's just get along, let's just, let's just do that. But church, what I know and what Jesus says here is that we don't experience peace here. No, peace comes with Jesus in the forever. That's where true peace comes. Now, for those of us that are found in Christ, we get to experience that because we do have joy and joy that's everlasting. Not happiness. Happiness is fleeting and at best shallow, but joy is a deep-seated contentment, a deep-seated satisfaction in the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that can take that because I am sealed in Christ and who he is and what he has done. And it's nothing that I've done, but it's all of what he has done. And so as a result... That's where true joy comes from, and nothing can snatch that, nothing can take that, nothing can quiet that, nothing. So we don't experience peace here. No, no, we get that in the forever with Jesus. And so we may have a few days here and there that are pleasant, but the reality is this, we're constantly on war. We're constantly engaged in war. And if you think that you're not, you're treading on very dangerous, dangerous ground, very dangerous ground. We've gotta keep our guard up. See, there's always this battle between good and evil. Light and dark is what the scripture teaches. Now hear me, church, we win. As believers, we win because we're found in Christ and he is our great warrior, he is our great king, he is our great supply, he is our great everything. So we win, but just because there isn't bombs going off, we need to always stay armed. We need to always be ready. It would be like this, it would be like a soldier out out in the field for war. 
And so just because there hasn't been gunshots in two days and bombs aren't going off just in two days, it doesn't mean that he lays his uh, uh, weapon to the side and he starts to walk down the field because what happens the moment he takes his first step out of the camp, pow, he's gone. Now he knows better than to let his guard down out in the field. He knows better to even let his guard down even in camp because you don't know what's about to come over the wall after you. You don't know what's about to happen. Church, the same thing for us. We may have some quiet days, but what I know is that the storm's brewing. There's plans being made. There's something coming for us. Because for those of us who walk in glad obedience, those of us who walk in the will of God, those of us who want to bring glory and honor to our resurrected Savior, the dark despises that. Wants nothing to do with it. So he's coming. He may get you and kind of uh, loyal you into a, a, a time of maybe some peace and a time of quiet tranquility, but just know the Bible says that our enemy is a roaring lion just waiting to pounce and devour whoever he may. He despises and hates. That's the enemy that we face every day, the dark forces that are against us. So there's no true peace other than being found in Christ and other than in all eternity with him forever. So Jesus says, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? And then he answers that. I said in that moment, I'd probably be like, yeah, yes, Jesus, yes, do it, man, that's right. Absolutely, after all the like, the crazy little thing that you just said there about division, about that, no, 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 you, yes, bring peace, I want peace. And then he would answer and he'd have said no, no. He says, I tell you, but rather, division that's what the cross does that's what jesus has brought you mean cute little like jesus i described earlier frolicking in the yes cute little loving gracious kind merciful holy upon which we don't fully grasp and understand what it means that jesus he says i have come to bring division so let's talk division for a moment shall we see jesus is so divisive because he sets a standard by which all are to be measured. He sets the standard and he sets the way. That's what he does. And so for us, what we like to do is we like to play that little game of of we'll compare ourselves to our bum neighbor that's not really that good. Or we'll compare ourselves to our bum neighbor who's maybe a drunk or who abuses his wife or who kicks his kids or I mean, I don't know, you you, you make up whoever you wanna make up and the standard we always uh, uh, test ourselves against is never somebody better than us. And just for the record, I'm not the standard. Uh, Tyler, who's in Kids Life this morning, is not the standard. Eric, who leads us in worship, is not. The band is not the standard. The trustees are not the standards. Uh, the leaders in the church here that, that lead classes, they're not the standard. Because hear me, anytime you look to us, we will fall woefully short compared to Jesus. He is always the standard upon which we look and which upon we judge ourselves. I mean, we never judge ourselves amongst each other. It's always with the holiness of Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he sets a standard which to be measured against. That standard is very divisive because we don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told that we're not doing it right. And so as believers, we say since God has created and made everything, he is the ultimate authority. He is the standard by which we judge and we look to. But the world says, no, 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 that's not the case. We get to make the rules. Maybe we'll adopt some in if they fit us or if they make us happy or if we enjoy it or if it's okay. Maybe we will go with that. So the world says, no, we'll adopt those in that we want, but what's good for me, what makes me happy, that's all that matters. 
what seems good, what I like, maybe even what culture says. Those are the things that I'll adopt in. Those are the things that I'll look to. Not division, not this Jesus guy. So I'm gonna give you just a horrific example and then we'll look at a, like maybe one that's a little bit better. And so this whole thought of standard, this whole thought of culture, this whole thought of division and Jesus setting the standard and what he says goes, not culture, not our world, not our own little hearts, as cute as we think they are and as good as we think they are, the Bible says that they are wicked and no man can know them. I just wanna go back for a moment to the 80s. I was an 80s baby. 83, man, you know, like, yeah, 83. And so in the 80s and kind of pushing a little bit of the 90s, there is something that happened that that we want to, if we could go back and have a do-over, we would do it in a minute. And so the 80s, the standard or the thing that was said, I don't know who did this and God forgive them for doing this, but in the 80s, there was this thing uh, that was deemed to be good and comfortable and great. It was called spandex. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, all this workout stuff and getting the spandex and do your thing and you're in spandex. Hear me, spandex is never a good choice. You, you hear? I mean, I get compression and I get, let's keep this stuff tight, but if you ever go to your closet and you have to, uh, no, spandex. No, no that, that's never a good decision, ever. And so the 80s and early 90s give us that. And, and for whatever reason, we thought it was good and great and glorious and grand. But looking back today, just scratch my head and I think, what, what, are we, what were we about? What was, um, epic fail, and I was a baby in 83, you know, so I mean, that, that can't, that's not all of me. Some of you 70s, 60s, 60s, it's your fault, no. <laughs> uh, but where does the standard come from? I know that's a dumb illustration, but you get the picture what, what I'm trying to say is this, is, is that the world has always a way of determining what is right and wrong and what is, what is good and what, what is enjoyable. And they just don't like our ways. So they pick, they choose, they exclude the ones that they want. That's what they do. So let me, let me give you an example. This one is more kind of applicable, one that we can get our head around. The example that I would give you is this, is the example of sex. Just breathe in that for a moment, it's okay. We get in church and we can say it, it's, it's a good thing. And so what happens is we live in this sex crazed culture, do we not? Anything goes, whenever, however, whoever, man with woman, man with man, woman with woman, it, it doesn't matter, whatever feels good, whatever uh, makes you happy, however you wanna do that, and then whenever, whether you're committed to someone, whether you're not committed to someone, it doesn't matter if you've been in a relationship for a month and you're golden or if maybe it's three months for you. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what the time frame is. Whatever you deem good for you, that's kind of what culture, that's what the world pushes, that's what the world says. As long as you enjoy it, as long as it brings you some pleasure, it's all about you, 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 whatever makes you happy in that moment. That's, that's the standard that's been set. But Jesus comes in and this is where Jesus divides because Jesus has a standard. Jesus says and deems what's right and wrong, and Jesus is not doing it to be a jerk. No, Jesus is doing it to safeguard us and protect us because he knows what comes with the reality of of what sex does, what sex brings about. He knows he's not doing it to be cold-hearted, to be hard-hearted. No, he's doing it to restore restore peace, to restore uh, things back to the way that they've been, the way that they're supposed to be. And so Jesus busts onto the scene, and he says, sex, okay. And, And by the way, sex is a good gift of God, given to us for our enjoyment and for our pleasure and to bring glory and honor to his name. 
And so he introduces that. And what Jesus says is, man with woman only. And then he goes a little bit deeper. And what he says, only if you are in a marriage relationship with that person. Sex outside the bounds of marriage is wrong. I don't care what the world says. I don't care the standard they set. Remember, that's the same world that brought us spandex. You, you, you really want to lean on that? And let's, I mean, we just, the music they've got today, somebody's riding a horse to their hotel room? We're parking that thing at the bottom, you know? I mean, why? I don't know, anyways, Billy Ray Cyrus, God bless him. But, but that's the standard that the world sets, and God says, no, no. Do, do you understand and realize? And I want to talk to you guys for a second, and, and I want to talk to everybody else too, because they're not just the only ones uh, that struggles with that. I know that everybody else in this room struggles with that. But do you know what that does to you mentally, emotionally, physically when you just give yourself away over and over and over and over? The illustration that I like to use is this. We're shopping for a car. What kind of car do you want? Do you want the nice new shiny one? Or are you going to go to the one that's been beat up, banged up? All That's what we're doing with ourselves. We just continue to give ourselves away after away over and over and over. And thank God that Jesus comes along and says, I want the beat up, broken one because I want to repair and fix. Because you're never too far gone for Jesus to repair you and fix you. Ever. But what we've got to do is we've got to set our heart and we've got to guard against what culture in the world says. Because Jesus says, yes, have, have as much sex as you want to inside the bounds of marriage with your husband or with your wife. Whatever you deem necessary or fit between the two of you. Absolutely, it's a good gift of God. And in that, I mean, there's no, there's no weight and reality of what sex does outside of that, of giving yourself away over and over and over with no commitment. I mean, think about that for a moment. To think that person could walk away at any moment and never have been committed to loving you like Christ loves the church, serving you the way that Jesus serves this world. I mean, that's just a horrible place to be. So Jesus isn't doing it to be mean because he wants Christians to be dull and dumb and not have any fun. No, 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 he's doing it because he wants you to have all the fun that you can possibly have in the bounds of an area that's safe for you. Like, I'm not letting my boys play in the road. Why? Because cars come in a car versus a kid. A kid never wins. But in the backyard where there's no cars, man, that kid can flourish, he can enjoy, he can kick the ball as far as he wants, he can run after it, he can do all that he wants to do by there. Same thing for us as believers. The things that Jesus has said and deemed as, as right and good and holy is for us to flourish and grow in. And then look at the example that he gives here with the vision. Those are just two examples that I had and here's another one. Verse 52 and 53 says, uh, for from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided rather against son and, and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. See, the point here is that there's gonna be division and that division can even happen in the family. One of the closest units relationally and so the commitment that Jesus is talking about is one that trumps the most precious relationships. It's him. It's him. It's a commitment that, that can have uh, no conditions. A commitment in relationship with him. Matthew 10, 37 says it like this. He says, um, and it'll be on the screen for you. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
It says if you love mom and dad more than Jesus, you're not worthy of having Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is always going to be number one, always going to be utmost, always going to be the greatest love relationship that we should have. But then he flips it and he says, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. No conditions. Jesus says this is how it's going to be or there's nothing. So just some questions for you this morning. Do you love Jesus more than your family? Uh, that's where it hits, don't it? Do you love Jesus more than your family? Parents, are you teaching your kids to obey Jesus more than you? Pointing them to obey Jesus even more than they obey you? I'm always telling my boys, always, do what Jesus says. Just live in what Jesus tells you to do. Know his word and love him supremely and obey him. Another question I ask you is this. Are you teaching your kids to love Jesus more than they love you? That's what he says we should do there in Matthew 10, is it not? That's the standard upon which he set. Are you loving Jesus more than your kids? Where is your loyalty? Where, where are you directing theirs to be? See, the gospel that we believe and that we proclaim sometimes cuts us off from people. It sometimes cuts us off relationally. I, I guess maybe I would ask it like this. What is your relationship with Jesus costing you? See, that's divisive. Have I come, that's not peace. No, 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 because everything within us rages toward uh, fulfillment and joy outside of who God is. Relationally outside of what Jesus has said and, and deemed to be right, that's what rages and wars within us. That's the flesh that we have to kill. And Jesus says, if you don't love me supremely, then you don't love me at all. So what's it costing you? See, it indicts and it condemns us by its message. It's divisive, but, but that's nothing new. Uh, that's nothing new. When you look at Jesus' words and the things that he has said throughout the Gospels, uh, there's a lot of this, what would appear to be divisive, but the divisive is the dividing line in the sand where we have to choose. It's either all in or it's nothing. It's either all him or it's not, and that's very divisive. Is that peace? That's not peace. That would appear to be the opposite of peace. But the moment you walk in glad submission and faith to Jesus, man, there is peace like we have never experienced and known. And so what we see Jesus ending there is quoting Micah 7, 6. And what he's doing is he's just connecting with what he's saying back to the Old Testament, something that they would know, something that they would be familiar with. So as we wind down this morning, Jesus is the great divider. Yes, that brings tension. But the scripture is laden with tension, all in the scripture. And what I've learned is Jesus is fine with the tension. What I've even learned in my own life is that tension is a good thing. It causes us to be uncomfortable. And as we're uncomfortable, it causes us and forces us to, to make hard, difficult decisions that maybe we wouldn't make if we were complacent, if we're just satisfied all the time, if we're just, we're just kind of doing our own thing. And so the cross is the great dividing event. And at that point, we're divided into one of two, either saved or lost, either belonging to Jesus or an enemy of Jesus. And so what I've come to learn is this, the beautiful news about the gospel is, is though it's divisive, it's also inclusive for all whosoever will come, for all who will put their faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus calls for sinners to choose blessing and reward in heaven rather than cursing and punishment in hell. He calls, he asks, he, in, he invites in, that's why he dies on the cross. But Jesus is the great divider. If you embrace him, he will, let, he will be to you the prince of peace. He will be to you the Prince of Peace. I mean, there's gonna be some division in this life, but you'll enjoy peace that is beyond understanding. 
See, I think what happens is sometimes we look at coming to faith and following Jesus all wrong. We look at coming to know Jesus and following him in faith and believing him and trusting in him all wrong. I'm gonna ask the band to come up as I make these last three points. See, the thing that we've gotta understand is this, is that Jesus went all in first. Oh yeah, Jesus went all in first. Jesus knew that there'd be rejection. Jesus knew that all of that would take place, that he would be despised, unwanted, hated. He knew that, but what does he do? He enters into and, and chooses to take upon the cross anyways, knowing that there would be people as he offers his free love gift to the world that would despise. So as I was thinking, as I was looking this week, I, I just want to ask you a question. Do, do you remember the first time that you said that I love you? Like, like, do you remember the first time that you said that? Maybe to your wife or to your husband before you were married? As a Mary and I, we were talking about a little bit last night. And, and I can remember, like I can, I can remember some of those things in our relationship. And so I thought it was at this one point, but she informed me, you know, it was at this place. I said, yeah, but we started dating January 20th. She's like, how do you remember that? And forget my birthday. I don't, I just celebrate it twice. <laughs> um, but as, as we talked a little bit and we sat there and I just thought about when you do that, when you look at someone for the first time and you tell them that you love them, and we were about three, four months into a relationship, you're always nervous. Like, what will they say? How will they respond? What will they do? Will it get weird? Okay, maybe I was reading this thing all wrong. Like, I just, you just never know what's gonna come with that. And I can remember we were up, and they had this movie room in their house, and we were there, and it was getting close to the end of the night, and I can just remember looking at her and saying, hey, I love you. And what seemed like a long pause was really, I think, just for probably a moment. Because we don't, I mean, we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to go down that road. And I can remember looking at me and saying, I love you. This relationship just continues to kindle and, and grow. And we get to know each other and walk in what love looks like and means. And so as I, as I think about the reality of what we're talking about this morning and the cross and the cross being divisive, the only reason why it's divisive is because Jesus has stepped out there and he says, hey, I love you. I, I, I so love you. And the problem is, is there's that pause because anytime you tell somebody that you love them, there's always gotta be a response. So anytime we look at the cross, there's always gotta be a response to the cross. Like you get that, don't you? Every week you make a response in regards to the cross. Either you walk out of here in glad submission and obedience and love and desire for Jesus, saying, yes, I love you too, Father, and I'm gonna go do and be about what you are about and who you are, or you walk out of here, no glad submission, no glad love and devotion and desire for Jesus, all the while he's standing there naked and bare saying, I love you. Oh, how I love you. And all we offer is rejection by disobedience. The second thing I'd wanna point out is this, is the cost is great. Oh, it, it, church, hear me, the cost is great, but all of that cost is on Jesus. And I just think Oswald Chambers says it best, and so I just wanna read you a quote. He says, the center of salvation is the cross of Jesus, and the reason it is so easy to obtain salvation, the reason it's so easy to have salvation is because it costs God so much. Heaven's best. Jesus is what it cost. The cross is the point where God and sinful man merge with a crash 
and the way of life is open, but hear me, the crash is absorbed all on the heart of God. The cost is great, but all that cost is on Jesus. The third thing I would say is this, man, get your head around what you've got. It may seem divisive, and it may seem tough, and it may seem difficult, and hear me, I'm here to say, yes, it is. Oh, but if we would just get our heart and head around what we have. Like, I can remember that day at my wedding, and I'm standing there on the beach. We get married at the beach, and I just, I remember it, and I can, I'm standing there. It's me, and uh, my guy's here. Her, her girls have already walked down, um, and, and then we've got our mentor here that's about to uh, do the ceremony and bring us together and us have that covenant commitment before our Savior, and I'm standing there, and as I'm standing there, uh, there's a dune back there, and it seemed like forever, and it probably was because her dad was back there with her. Baby, you sure? Car's gassed up. But I can remember standing there as I'm standing there, I'm waiting, and there she comes up over the hill. And, and I remember him like in, in the, as we practiced it the day before, he's like, now, now, when you do this, you look at her, not me. Because I don't want to marry you, Scott. She's marrying you. So you look at her and you say all this to her, not to me. He would have never had to tell me that. Because the moment she pops up over the dune and she starts walking down and I start to see her coming down toward me. Do you know what never crossed my mind? Do you, do you know what never popped up in my heart? Man, there was this girl I dated in high school. She was cool. Or back in college, we had that rough stint. But man, she was pretty, ah, I'm, I'm losing her. I, I never thought that for a moment. I lost this one or that one or I couldn't have that one anymore. No, 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 no. Do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, God, I am so glad that I've gained this one. I am so glad that I get this one for all of this life. And never once did it cross my mind. I'm losing something. And the thing that blew me away was the fact that I am gaining this till life ends in me or her. That's what I'm gaining. Church, that's us. That's the way we look at this. That's the way that we approach the cross. Is there anything greater to gain than God? Is there anything greater to gain than God? And the answer is a resounding no. Not this lifestyle, not this uh, uh, momentary enjoyment of pleasure over here for a night. None of that, all of that stuff felt woefully short compared to gaining Jesus for all eternity. If we just get our eyes off of the ridiculous stuff of this world and what it tells us. Because hear me, church, this morning, you will never give up more than he did for you. You will never give up. You will never give up more than he did for you. You will never go further than he has gone for you. You will never, ever suffer more than he has suffered for you. You're not losing anything. You are gaining absolutely everything. That's what this scripture means this morning. Just linger in that reality. Dwell on those three points. And this passage doesn't appear to be near as divisive, but rather it's a sweet aroma as it reveals God's heart, sending his beloved son to be for us what we could never be for ourselves. That's what's the great news about the gospel. And yes, it divides, but it divides with an all-inclusive, come on, I love you, I've given myself for you. That's what's great news of the gospel and the most divisive news we'll ever hear because you don't know the times that people are walking away. Yeah, Jesus is good, but. Jesus, yes, but. That, but. 
So my question for you this morning is this, what has God stirred in your heart as a result of his word? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what, I've never looked at it that way. I've never realized or thought about what I gain instead of what I lose. But what you gain is so much greater. Whatever God stirred in your heart, I just want to urge you this morning in this place to be obedient. If you say, Scott, with Jesus, I don't know what that means or looks like, then man, I'll be down here. We've got other people in this room that would love to talk to you and share the gospel and talk more about what it means to walk in a relationship with him. If you're on the fence, all I can say is, man, the water on this side, oh, it's like nothing that you've ever experienced or seen. He is that good. He is that good. Did Jesus come to bring peace? Not this lifetime. Not the full understanding of it this lifetime. What we gain is far greater. Lord, help us in this moment to see who you truly are, to walk in the reality of what you've done for us by way of the cross. God, save the lost. Encourage the heart here that needs you, that's struggling, that's fighting, that's battling. Oh God, that you would give them a, just a, a taste of what it's like to have that peace, just to get them through one more day. God, whatever you see fit in this place this morning, God, you do work now. We pray, we beg, we implore. Holy Spirit, in your name we pray. Amen. You stand. The band's going to lead us in a time of response. If you need to come pray, if you want to talk, anything that we can do, I want you to know that you're loved.